people come up to us all the time and say, hey, I grew up listening to your music. And it's like, hey, man, we grew up playing it for you. to the Acoustic Guitar Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Grizzle, and in this episode, we're talking with Nickel Creek. My co-host, Jeffrey Pepper Rogers, notes that not many bands can claim to have played together for well over 30 years while its members are in their 40s. Sean Watkins, Sarah Watkins, and Chris Thiele discuss breathing new life into classic tunes, songwriting influences both past and present, what their kids really think of their music, and much more. Before we dive in, I'd like to take a moment to thank Tonewood Amps for sponsoring this episode. Tonewood Amp is a game-changing multi-effects device that attaches to any acoustic guitar. Get reverb, delay, and more. No amp required. Learn more at tonewoodamp.com. And of course, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Acoustic Guitar Podcast. Now, here's Jeffrey Pepper Rogers to kick off our conversation with Nickel Creek. So I have to say first that um, I heard you guys in... This area and at Beacon Skiff out here near Syracuse on your tour, which was a great, great oh, night. Yeah. Oh yeah, super fun yeah, that show. Was, that was oh, that was a really that was a really yeah. fun show on the hillside there with all yes, the apple exactly. trees. Sarah and I had our kids out with us, and um, and so you know at the very very end of the night they they listened to the last couple songs. I know that my 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 little boy um, you know has has made no bones about the fact that he doesn't like the music that I make. <laughs> oh. <boy. laughs> He understands that he understands that um, you know that it's that I'm I'm competent, uh, but he doesn't like the texture, uh, except for this cover that we do of Mother Mother's Hayloft. He loves that, uh, and so uh, since they were still up, they were, there was this ping pong table backstage, so they just kept playing ping pong um, at you know far past their bedtimes towards the end of the Nickel Creek set, and and. Um, Kira, who was our friend Kira, who was watching them, said, "Oh, I think they're about to play Hayloft," and so they went and watched Hayloft, and then they, and then our next song was the Fox, uh, you know, which which is definitely, you know, kid friendly. It's yeah, it is kid friendly typically, but but uh, but my my little boy, it's t- Taylor made to piss him right off because you know it's kind of a. <laughs> A hoot and a holler. <laughs> he wants things to sound. He wants things to sound like, you know, you're up in in some club in the meatpacking district, and um and so but so he said afterwards, Daddy, I like Hayloft, and you know what, Fox isn't bad. It's pretty good. <laughs> and and um and I was just it just seeing seeing him and and uh, and Sarah's kid Sam, and then also Sean's kid. Uh, Willow came out as well, and and so getting getting to share this project with with our progeny, um, and significant others, uh, in addition to all of these these people who we we grew up playing for. They 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 grew up. People come up to us all the time and say, "Hey, I grew up listening to your music," and it's like, "And man, we grew up playing it for you." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's a it's a pretty crazy experience that we get to have out here. 
No, we are we are doing we are living life uh, in this, uh, similar stages as our audience, and so I think that you know when we when we're playing this material for the new record, it it feels to us, and, and based on you know conversations we've had with 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 people who you know fans or people who are coming to shows, you know, a lot of us are are in that stage where we're we're choosing, you know, if we want to have families, we're choosing like the friends that we want to stay engaged with, the family we want to stay engaged with, the parts of ourselves we want to stay engaged with, like all of these things that we're talking about on the record. And as we're able to and like put our families together and, you know, continue to choose to do this band together, that's what the record is about. It all, it all feels very full circle and very, it's just the essence of, of where we are in life as a band and just also as just mid 40 year olds figuring out how to live. Well, you guys are early 40s. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. I wondered. Uh, I think the last time we 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 spoke, you were, you know, getting ready to take this stuff out on tour, and uh, but the album has got so many layers of instruments, so many layers of voices, and I know you were talking at the time about this process of figuring out how to make it work live, the three of you plus a you know bass. Um, what was that process like, you know, to take? these pretty complicated studio arrangements and just make it really work with the live. I'm always more worried about getting the music onto a record than I am about taking music off of the record and putting it on stage. Cause we can show you what we mean. We can, we can, we can show you with our physicality and how, and how we are acting in front of you as human beings. Um, and, and seeing where you are, seeing how you need to hear the music, we can tailor make it for you if you're in the room. But if we don't, you know, we're blindfolded with both hands tied behind our backs when we give you these records and you take it into your individual listening environment. And that's, that's the tricky part. It's getting it, getting it onto to record and, and, you know, why for us to have, to have, you know, Mike Elizondo and, and, and Eric Valentine on the case, you know, kind of figuring out how to to get what how it feels when we're playing this music in a room onto speakers through speakers that's totally true it's it's really true and you know once we once we get on stage we we feel confident we can we can uh we can you know have it translate um but nuts and bolts wise you know like a lot of these songs were recorded you know like you do instrumentally first and together we would be together the three of us in triangle um and and then we would do vocals later although sarah sang uh long line live is that right i did a couple yeah yeah long line and maybe a couple others dennis wall dennis wall uh, i sang i sang holding pattern live for the for the most part they were you know we we would just we were just dealing with you know we didn't know the songs yet um (laughs) really like we do now which is we talk about it all the time how making a record and touring is such a backwards cycle um so there's the learning how to you know learning how to sing and play at the same time um and then you know for this album there was a lot there's a lot of um involved counterpoint between the the uh, rhythmic counterpoint between the instruments rhythm and and vocals like for example in um the song going out which is fast seven there's um there's some oz so it's a, it's an instrumental but we've uh the first time we've ever put uh, vocals in a instrumental i should say um there's some vocals some oz and they start at like um a, an eighth an eighth 
note after a you know a, a, a an upstroke in, in fast seven it's like one two three four five six seven one two three and so um though you know that there, there's a couple things like that that for me personally were uh um you know a challenge to get to get in in my body before we um hit the road um and certainly now it's starting to feel a lot better but that you know there's those little kind of nuts and bolts things too but those those are always um you know with any record those are gonna those are gonna be present on this new record every one of your records seems to evolve so much and this is a a nine years between records is is a lot of time for evolution what songwriters have been influencing you from the previous record up to when you were started to write this record can you recall anything new that that really sparked something for you for this record i i don't know if there's one or two people whose music i've listened to who's I, I wouldn't be able to draw that line. I hope that it's the case that like a lot of the great music that I've been listening to has, has seeped in, in a way that's, you know, I'm sure that it's coming out some way, but I think the thing that I most credit for my personal musical growth is the different collaborations that I get to be a part of. So, um, <laughs> In the family hour, Sean and I get to be on stage with a lot of people and it's not really rehearsal collaboration as much as on stage performance collaboration and just watching how people deliver something um, and, and, you know, listening to their songs, I guess, in prep. But particularly like, you know, making working with Sarah Jerezniefo O'Donovan and seeing how they write songs. And also writing with other people, I feel like just seeing the time that people take to write something or maybe the way that they work through it quite quickly and then reapproach. There's so many different ways to writing songs and and there's no one way that I've ever repeated. But I feel like the I really enjoy seeing other people's process and find a lot of inspiration in sort of like sympathetically trying to go through the down the path that I imagine their brain went down to get to a certain point which is definitely not the path they took, but it's the, my under, the way that I understood, can understand. So I feel like that, I feel like that is, is, is a huge part of, of my development. I'm sure there's other art and listening and space and time, but also I think I also benefit from um, having a little bit of space in my life to, to process things where I have time to think about what is missing in my life or missing in the world or, or what I, what I, what I want to make and then I'm able to actually figure out what that is and how I would do it if I were to if I were to write something to fill that space what would it be like and so I benefit from like a little bit of downtime to to organize my thoughts uh these songs definitely benefited in my mind by you know the amount of of many approaches that we were able to to the many the multiple times we were able to approach a lyric and uh and figure out what we really wanted to, to say. There's also, I think there's a certain kind of inspiration that, that you get when you're a younger artist, when you're making your first few albums, where you can kind of like answer that question by saying, oh, I was listening to this person, this person, I like this person's this or this person's that. But I noticed that as, um, as we get older and make more albums, it's less that you know, you, you're going to be influenced by everything you hear and that's just going to happen. And I'm, I'm just not worried about that. You kind of just learn to trust that as you get older and, and it becomes a little bit harder to, to point to one specific thing or the other. Um, and it, the inspiration for me comes from like writing with Sarah and Chris 
after after so long and and the things i mean sarah and i play together all the time but we don't necessarily write we haven't written and you know sat down to write in 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 years um and so uh and then with chris too and so getting together with them it's really that that new kind of chemistry um because we've got the old chemistry that's always there it's always going to be there but there's new chemistry based on where we are in life and who we've been playing with and to me the, that that's the most inspiring component um like for this record. There was one thing I can point to that made a big impact on the way I go about writing a lyric. It happened right in the middle of this process. I guess our writing session, or the first big writing session that we had, um, wrapped up, what, like a week or two before the vaccines came out? Something like that. Um, and so, so touring had just started picking up again that summer. And I, I had a little bit of time to read for the first time in a while, because in lockdown, you know, with a kid, there was just there was no time for for anything. There wasn't even time to, you know, work on the music that I that I really needed to work on. But you know, you're so you're 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 figuring out how to do it, and then you get to the end of the night, and and I know a lot of people did a lot of great reading over the over the over lockdown, but but man, my my wife and I was like, it was just like trying to stay sane whilst keeping this child alive was, was the vibe. And, um, and there wasn't a whole lot of reading going on. And so all of a sudden I was, I, I did like a little bit of, you know, going out and playing and had some, some travel time during which to read. And that coincided with this incredible book by, uh, the release of this incredible book by George Saunders called a swim in the pond in the rain. Um, it's, it's just just like a, a master class. It's a, a master class that he teaches at, at Syracuse, creative writing master class that he teaches at Syracuse in book form um, about these this set of, set of Russian short stories. And um, the, the short stories are in there. And then his commentary is is after them. And it's it's I, I've never read something that was that was more helpful for I, I think anyone who makes anything, whether it's music or, you know, Obviously, I think it would be helpful for a writer, but like if you paint or if you just whatever it is that you make, I, I couldn't recommend that book more more highly. It made me made me think about what I do in a totally different way. I teach classes at Syracuse also, and I've known him a lo- known him a little bit through through that. Oh, over the years, but yeah, it is a, it is a great book. You read it too? I have read it. Yeah. I was looking back at a conversation that I had with you three 21 years ago. Yeah. And in terms of uh, songwriting and lyrical inspirations, your top three list at that time was Counting Crows, Toad the Wet Sprocket, and Elliot Smith. Wow. That sounds, that sounds like we weren't lying. <laughs> those, I mean, I think those songwriters made a huge impact on us. We were talking about this recently at... Actually, at the sound check of the show that you saw, Jeffrey, um, it was raining during the day, and we were we were on the little island of the stage during this downpour, and we were talking about about Adam Duritz's songwriting and how that's right. We were just you know playing a bunch of those songs and thinking about the influence, and uh, that was that was a liftoff for us lyrically, out of a traditional folk world or, or bluegrass tonality, Irish music, you know, like these themes that are, that are touched on. And it was all of a sudden people singing about this life that we were 
we were alive in as well. And, you know, melodies and, and this like, uh, bringing some poetry to life and, um, and really, you know, putting your heart into it. There's so many things that those bands, those three bands really influenced us on. Elliot Smith, like the melodies and, uh, and the, like, especially like, like the Toad the West Rockets, all those chords that Glenn puts into songs and, and his, his melody writing as well. It was, it was a, those all influenced us so much in that time. Coming across those, those writers and, you know, the nineties, um, what was pre-internet, you just heard what was on the radio, you know, it was a wild, wild time for music, <laughs> wild decade. When you think about it, um, the stuff that got played and the, the diversity and, um, you know, uh, that's, a, that's what we came across. And like Sarah said, it really helped kind of, you know, launch us into, into a, a new zone of thinking about music and, and, you know, songwriters that we've, uh, come to love ever since. I was thinking about the difference between like, like here, here are two, two lyrics, like one from what we grew up with. It's like this Laurel Canyon Rambler song. Um, well, I went outside for a ramble round, didn't mean to stay, just a view of the town. Um, like contrast that with, um, step out the front door like a ghost into a fog where no one notices the contrast of white on white. Like that is a pretty serious <laughs> disparity. <laughs> And like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would think that would kind of sum sum up why hearing that really blew the doors off for us. And I, I mean, from where I'm, from where I am now, both of those are great. Uh, like, I, I, I love them both, and um, but they're very, very different. And I think good to hear both if you're a young songwriter <laughs> trying to figure out what your voice is. It's the same thing as like, uh, or it's similar to you know, you can play you know, four or five chords on, on, uh, you know, more traditional bluegrass instrumentation and it sounds a certain way. And then you play those same chords with on piano or with, uh, with like a classic rock and roll band kind of thing, or like B3 organ or whatever. And it's a totally different vibe. And it's not, it's not, at its essence, it's the same thing. It's just the voice that you put behind it and, and, you know, or the, the lyrical tone that you put behind it. And it's just, it's a, you can relate to it in, uh, as, as a, with a different perspective as like a, with a growing up early twenties person perspective. And it was, it was nice. It's kind of like, it feels like we've just been hanging out with, with older people and adults. And then all of a sudden we met some kids our own age. <laughs> It's like, hey, cool. It was also the as the time we were becoming. I think the world was becoming aware of T Bone Burnett's production, um, which, you know, very quickly, you know, he he was also then very involved in Oh Brother Where Art Thou stuff. I mean, he he did it, and um, which ended up being like the the closest thing to our childhood music as possible, and. I think it was really neat to see someone who didn't come from that world as far as we knew really dive into it and appreciate it in such a in such a high quality way. Like the, the, the choices on that soundtrack were so beautiful. And it was neat, I think, for me in hindsight to see that same person exist, the person who made these, you know, these great rec- rock and roll records that we loved and then also made this incredible um, record that paid tribute to the roots that we grew up with. It was nice to see like, oh, this is this is the same thing. Yeah, for yeah, he, he produced that first Cannon Crows record that we know of, and then um, 
Also, the Wallflowers record that was on. So long ago, I don't remember when. Sorry. Guys, we could do a 90s sing-along night all night long. Nickel Creek sings the hits. 11.30 to like 1.30 a.m. Yeah. Uh, on a on a tour bus in the you know in the front lounge, maybe yeah two or three Negronis in. Oh yeah, you'll hear all your faves. Hi there, I'm Stephanie Campos Dalbroy, and I'm a producer on the Acoustic Guitar Podcast team. I'd like to take a moment to remind you all that this is a listener supported show. We're counting on your support today to keep creating new episodes for years to come please visit patreon.com slash acoustic guitar plus to learn more. Membership starts at $1 per month and comes with special perks, including bonus episodes of the podcast, access to live workshops, and so much more. Thanks for listening and for your ongoing support. Now let's get back to the show. So in this band, we've got one guitar, one mandolin, one fiddle, and lots of voices, but you're all also guitar players. Like, you know, really, that's that's in your DNA as well as your main instruments in this band. How does that influence the songwriting process with Nickel Creek? Knowing, I mean, for, you know, Chris and Sarah, you're, you're probably not going to be playing guitar on these songs. Do you... When you come to the the songwriting table uh, with like an idea or or a, a demo, do you start writing that on guitar? Do you start writing that on your instruments with this band? How does that how's being a guitarist also influence the songwriting process for Nickel Creek for you guys? Well, I don't know if you are aware of this, but you don't have to write songs on guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's who we're talking to. One of the songs started with a little piano. A couple of them started with piano things that Sarah had, um, and I think you know writing on an, on an instrument that's not your main instrument it can be really really helpful. Can really get you out of uh, whatever rut you're, you're in. Um, even just sit, yeah, I mean, even if you don't play that instrument well, like I don't play piano well at all. But if I sit down and play a few chords, and I know automatically they're not going to be the voice like I'm voicing him on a guitar. And so then I'm going to have different ideas than I would um, normally, you know, at least my first idea might not be the same as if I was playing on a guitar um, or even just a different guitar. <laughs> you know, that makes a difference. Nylon string or like Nashville, like we use the Nashville high strong on, on, um, on a couple songs too. And that can be really, really helpful. The older I get, the more I write in my head, you know, away, away from any instrument, just just imagining what it is that I want to hear and getting to the point where I can imagine it clearly enough to where I can just start playing along, you know, or, or start communicating it to, to the band. You hear all the parts in your head separately, or is it just like a melody or? You hear the, the, the gist of it. Yeah. Like what kind of what it, what it sounds like. I mean, like listening to the radio, except it's, it doesn't exist yet. I would encourage people to explore that part of their their musicianship. Our bodies, our bodies can be very, very lazy. Um, creatively speaking, we, we, our bodies want to do the stuff that they do. They want to do that more. They know how to do it. You know, sometimes I think we find writer's block can, can, can rear its ugly head when we're, when we're, when we're tied to kind of what we can think of on an instrument, as opposed to what we, what we can dream up in our, in our inner ears. Um, just our, our, our heads and heart, hearts and souls are, that's what writes music. Our fingertips are, are pretty lazy. 
<laughs> lazy dreamers. They're like, check out this thing I can do. And we're like, yeah, I knew you could do that already. God damn it. Yeah. Increasingly, I, I, I find that I write more on like a long walk via my notes. Like, I don't, I'm not talking about lyrics. I'm talking about like a song that goes like this. <laughs> where this thing happens and then this kind of a thing happens and then this kind of a thing happens. And then I just typing it out like in an out outline form. Yeah. As if thing. describing. Yeah. As if like I'm writing a review of a song that I'm writing <laughs> 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 and like, um, and then, and then, and then I find it's much easier to, to, to drag something unique out of, out of your, your inner ear with your instrument. Like if you know what you're looking for, then you'll know when you find it. And the, the other kind of writing, I was sitting down yesterday. I had a, like an hour while my wife and kid were out walking around. I was practicing some Nickel Creek songs and then I just found myself writing with an idea. I really, I hadn't written, I hadn't really just sat down and tried to write by myself for a while. And I realized how much fun it is to write with other people because the po possibilities are endless. It's, it, it, it's like... If you're doing what Chris is doing and you sit there and you think about something for a long time and you imagine something in your head until it's clear enough to where you can like bring shape to it, that's different. But for me, I was just like messing around like, that's kind of cool. What if I did this? What if I did this? What if we went to this chord? And, and it can be really frustrating without someone else to sort of guide you. I <laughs> just, you know, I, it's, it, it's so fun writing with Sarah and Chris because that doesn't really happen. They'll be like, oh, that's really cool. Or the thing that I thought was really cool maybe isn't resonating with them. And so we go a different direction and you, you've got a, you've got a direction. So for me, yeah, writing by myself, I think I'm trying, I'm thinking I'm learn I'm going to have to like figure out how to do that in a new way now, because, um, it's tough without, without people to bounce your ideas off of. That's the end of part one. Tune in to part two for more on the collaborative songwriting process behind Celebrants. Visit patreon.com slash acoustic guitar plus to access all bonus episodes of the Acoustic Guitar Podcast. The Acoustic Guitar Podcast is brought to you by the team at Acoustic Guitar Magazine. I'm your host, Nick Grizzle, joined for this episode by Jeffrey Pepper Rogers. The Acoustic Guitar Podcast is directed and edited by Joey Lusterman. Tanya Gonzalez is our producer. Executive producers are Lizzie Lusterman and Stephanie Campos Delbroy. Our theme song was composed by Adam Perlmutter and performed for this episode by Jeffrey Pepper Rogers. If you enjoy this podcast and want to support us, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash acoustic-guitar-plus or find the link in the show notes for this episode. As a supporter, you'll have access to exclusive bonus episodes along with other special perks. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support.